Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this day and especially for your presence here among us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I have a confession to make. When I went to seminary, I was a whopping 29 years old, and I hated Paul. I loathed Paul. He was not my man. I think part of that was because anytime I turn on the TV and there is some ridiculous quote from uh, a hardcore evangelical, it tends to come from Paul. It tends to be one of these things that someone immediately says, here's Paul, here's what he believes, whack, you should all believe it too. And it usually is something that I violently disagree with, something along the lines that no woman should ever teach a man, just as Paul says. And I go, what? And just sort of ignore whatever is said afterwards because I equate it with Paul is stupid and this person's stupid and they're all stupid and we'll just move on. And I get to skip it if you're stupid, right? I, I really didn't like Paul because every time he got brought up, it was just one of those things that, man, it just stunk. It was horrible. And I, it took me a while to get to the point of liking them. I, I, I'll be honest, I spent most of my time, as you probably have heard me teach and preach many a time, I spent most of my time in high school and grade school actually um, with my Jewish friends. Grew up in that sort of milieu because Episcopalians and Jews had a lot more in common than some of the evangelicals I was running with at the time. So we did that, and I even became a lifeguard at the Memphis Jewish Community Center, so I spent all my time with the Jews, and I was pretty happy with the Old Testament. It was all good. We can skip Paul, because he's a pain. And I was also, let's be clear, I was with the Jews that could eat bacon, so they were pretty relaxed. This was not, I was not hardcore rules with that crew, needless to say. They were reform Jews and good folk. Paul was a problem for me. And so when I got to seminary, I spent a good deal of time resisting. Um, you'd have to take Introduction to the New Testament. I was happy for those first four or five books. You do the, the Gospels and Acts, and you're like, this is, I can do this. This is good. And they're like, and now Romans and Paul. And you're like, no. You knew it was coming. But a couple of things helped me understand Paul a whole lot. Number one, Paul tends to get verse jerked a lot. If you've ever heard that term before, verse jerking is when someone just yanks a verse completely out of context and says, this is what it means, not paying attention to anything around it. Paul gets, poor Paul, he gets it all the time. Today's reading, believe it or not, is used by both vegans and vegetarians to talk about how Paul says we should all be vegetarians because he says, don't eat meat. Right there in scripture, that's all you need to know. Paul says, don't eat meat. Boom, we're done. That's not how it works. We know that. Hopefully we know that. So that I could name going into it, but what really helped me understand Paul on a couple of levels is, number one, Paul says from the start, I am a Jew. In fact, I'm a Pharisee, and I'm trying to do the best I can to teach what I know of God. So suddenly I was like, okay, well, if he's a Jew, he's probably not all bad. I can maybe work with this guy. But then what happened even more was I started to realize that what Paul was doing was not necessarily the way we use Paul. That is, Paul was writing a letter to a church, to a community just like this, with just as many problems and good things and bad things going on all at the same time, a whole swirl of people trying to figure out their way to God, some doing it well, some making a mess of it, some arguing, some happy, everything. You name it, across the line. 
So then I could sort of get into it more. But what really helped me was one of my New Testament professors was talking about it and said, you know, Paul wrote the letter to be read at once. Even his longest letter, which is Romans, was supposed to be read all at one sitting and for the entire church to hear. Not one chapter or not 10 verses, but the entire letter was supposed to be heard. And for that matter, usually we don't have all the letters. The church in Corinth is a classic example. We call it 1 Corinthians, but about halfway through, Paul goes, if you'll remember in my last letter. Uh-oh. So 1 Corinthians is maybe 2nd or even 3rd Corinthians. We don't really know. We just don't have the first one or two. We just have the one that the church has preserved as the first letter to Corinth that, that we kept in parentheses. And then 2 Corinthians refers to a couple of other letters that he sent that didn't get brought in. In other words, what we have from Paul is the greatest hits, not the full collection. We don't have the B-sides of Paul. We're not really sure what that cat was saying all the time, and that's okay. But the big thing to know is, is Paul's trying to teach a big idea and not just one little part. In fact, his ideas are pretty profound, but we've chopped them up and so piecemeal we've sort of skipped it. So today is the classic example. Today, hopefully we can understand this one issue. The, the Corinthian church is a mess. Let's just name that first of all. If there was something they could fight about, they fought about it. So it's more or less, imagine if y'all are the church in Corinth, that group over there were the rich folks and they didn't want to eat with all you poor folks, okay? And then that group in the back that rolled in late, uh, they were the group that believed that women shouldn't teach men and the group up front said, that's stupid, let's fight the group in the back corner, right? Or there was a whole group of people that had made a decision to say that it was okay to eat food that was offered to idols. That's what today's lesson's about. Let's name what that is a little bit real quick. They, in the ancient world, when you came, you would offer a goat or a lamb or a chicken to a god, and that was how you worshiped the god. It would be sacrificed, they would cook it, and then you would eat it with the priests or with a variety of people who had belief in that idol, right? That's more or less how you worshiped. You'd eat the food that was offered. Pretty straightforward, right? Well, a group of people in the church of Corinth said, well, we all know that gods are, all those gods are fake. I mean, Zeus isn't anything. It's just a statue, so I can eat whatever I want. Makes sense. It's logical. If that god doesn't exist, I'll sit down and eat your chicken. Who cares? It doesn't mean anything. But there was another group, newcomers in the church, who were saying, so wait, I can worship God. I can worship this Jesus cat and Zeus. That's cool. I can do both. And suddenly they started having problems where they didn't understand what it was to be a Christian. They thought you could just sort of worship God among many. While really they were saying, no, no, we, don't, we believe that no other God exists. But the wires were getting crossed. People were getting confused. What does it mean to worship God? And it all got to be a mess real darn quick. Paul's solution is pretty straightforward. Um, that is, stop eating meat offered to idols because it's messing with other people's faith. Makes sense. But it tends to get sort of used as a cudgel. People get beat over the head with it. I think the easier way is to talk about where we are as a society today. It might help a little more. In America, we talk about we have rights. 
I'm sure we've all heard this argument before. This is nothing new. We all have our rights. We have the Bill of Rights. We have those things. I have a right to bear arms. I have a right to a free press. I have a right to freedom of assembly, a right to... And we can go on and on and on down the list, right? All the Bill of Rights. We have rights as Americans. And if you're offended by my rights, too darn bad. I don't really care about you or anybody else because I get to do what I want. More or less, that's the definition of how we define rights in America. As long as it doesn't hurt, physically hurt someone else, we can say and do what we want. Then Paul gets trotted out, and for that matter, the Old Testament gets trotted out a lot of times, as all the things you can't do. And so in a lot of times when you hear arguments put out there between the church and America, you'll hear people say, well, as an American, I can do whatever I want, and the church is telling me what I can't do. It has all these rules that condemns me as a human being, that condemns my lifestyle, that condemns the way I understand this or that or the other, and it's the church is bad because it just condemns me. Except for that's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, what Paul's talking about isn't even in this chapter exactly. It's there, but you have to look for it because it comes five chapters later. Paul absolutely agrees. You can do whatever you want. If you want to eat food offered to gods, you can because those gods don't exist. That's cool. That's not a bad argument, but you're missing something. And if you're confused by that and think that you're Well, you might be missing a little something, too. In fact, the people in the back who say they don't like women teaching men, you're missing something. And the rich folks who said you can't eat with the poor folks, y'all are both missing something. In fact, you're all missing something. And that's something that we tend to, well, really, you want to talk about verse jerking. We read it um, at weddings, but it has nothing to do with the wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not hateful or boastful, not envious. Love endures all things, loves all things, hopes all things. And the greatest of these is love, right? The whole chapter about love that Paul talks about, it's not about getting married. It's about all of us as a church figuring out how to get along. It's the whole group of us looking around and going, I don't know if the preacher's supposed to wear boots and jeans or not. Am I going to fight about that or am I going to get along about that? It's literally about saying we all have a right to do just about anything we want. But if you're in relationship, and I mean really in relationship with the people to your left and your right in these pews. If you are really in relationship with these folks, then you choose not to do things that might offend them. Because you love them. Nothing else. Just that easy. In the same way that if you have a good friend that's lactose intolerant, you don't go, hey, you want to go get some ice cream? That's not how it works. If you love that friend, then you go, why don't we go get some cake? It's just that easy. It's not condemnation. Here's a rule and you have to obey it or you will be forever damned. It's out of love. I choose to limit what I can do. I choose to be in relationship, so I choose to find a way that encompasses what God wants at the same time by loving my neighbor. We have absolute freedom. Those folks who were offering food to idols could have done it forever, and it would have been fine, but Paul rightly says, but you're missing something. If it hurts another person in the church, then you aren't doing it right. 
How do you live in relationship and love? And you want to talk about something that's relevant today? I don't know anything more relevant than that. How do we live together as human beings and realize that I don't have to limit what I want to do? I don't have to stop doing things? But if I want the world to be what God wants it to be, I should. Because I care. Because I love. Because I want something better. I want God's world, which is about that love. It's heavy, man. It's heavy stuff. This is not easy work to being a Christian. It's hard. But it's actually pretty joyful work if you really think about it. If you really love those people in front of you, behind you, next to you, all around you, you don't even think about making those sacrifices. You just do them. If you don't want me to wear jeans and boots, tell me. I'll wear khakis. It's not hard. (laughs) And it will be a joy to do it because who cares? That's what it means to be in relationship. It's that simple and that hard. It means I am not an island unto myself. I don't get to do everything I want to do. But the great joy of it is it means I'm not alone. If I have made a choice to stop doing certain things, it means because I'm in relationship with someone I love and care enough to change, to be different, to engage and love. So when you go out in the world this week, that's actually the injunction Paul makes to all of us throughout Corinthians. It's not one simple argument, it's a million How do you figure out how to love your neighbor, even if they drive you nuts? How do you figure out how to be in that relationship and joyfully take on those limits? Not because of force, not because someone said you had to, and not because there was a court case about it, but how do you do it in a way that says, hey, I like you. I can find a middle ground with you. If we can do that, then we've got just a glimpse of God's kingdom. If we can do that, we've got a chance to truly be Christ's church. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of your Son, for your presence among us. But above all, Lord, for the invitation to love, to be in a relationship that doesn't demand obedience, but invites us to caring and to limits, to caring and to love. Amen.